0: Welcome to this episode of the Comedy Defects Podcast. My name is Winter Fonander, I'm a comedian, and this is my show. So welcome to the show, guys. This is episode 46 with a very funny, quite controversial, a bit of a provocator, Mr. Jay Islam. Talked to Jay for over an hour and a half. Jay talks about his pet peeves about podcasters and things you shouldn't do. And we had a laugh because some of the things he was talking about, I do them. (laughs) So we had a bit of a laugh about that. It was really a lot of fun. Jay is a very smart, business-minded individual when it comes to comedy. It was great to pick his brains about certain things. This is one of my favourite episodes, guys. I really enjoyed recording this and editing it back. It was a lot of fun. You can go find Jay on Twitter, YouTube... Facebook, all those places. He's also taking a show up to the Edinburgh Fringe in 2018, which is called Islamophobic Muslim. So he's going to want you to come to his shows, his previews, to come see him live to work some stuff out. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at The Comedy Defect. You can follow me at Winter Phonander. You can also come see my live stand-up gig dates, which are from my Edinburgh preview shows, which will be on my website, winterphonander.com. I'm also taking as many jokes as I can out of that Guinness Encyclopedia and putting them up on Twitter under the title... The book Dad Read. And the handle for that is at Guinness Jokes. Now, as I said to you before on the last episode, this podcast will be released monthly now because I just do not have the time. I'm so busy at the moment. I do not have the time to release it weekly anymore. So I need to focus on the other things that have come in. So at the moment it's going to be reduced to monthly, maybe twice a month, but at the moment it's going to be once a month so I can get on with the stuff that I've got to do. I hope you're enjoying it guys. I'm really enjoying it too, but at the moment I've just got too much work on. Long may it last. You can also support this podcast by going to Patreon, typing in The Comedy Defect Podcast and can donate as little as a pound or as much as you feel this podcast is worth. And those of you that do donate, thank you because you're paying for the people that can't. And those of you that can't donate, just share your favourite episode, tell your friends about it. It tells people where we are and what we're doing. This is one of my favourite episodes, guys, with the very controversial, bit of a provocateur, Mr. Jay Islam for episode 46. Enjoy. Jay Islam, welcome to The Comedy Effect. Thank you for having me in your studio. This is amazing. I'm loving it. And this is, as I said before, is going to kick the rest of my episode's Asses for sound. It's gonna be like, oh my god! Oh, well, I really like that episode with Jay Islam. Yeah, because it was in his studio. I mean, I usually do it in a shed or a car or whatever it is. But, <laughs> but thank you for for having me at your <laughs> place. I feel like like it. You know, well, I've, I've been taken out of my safe zone and into your it's it's your podcast now. It feels like you know. <laughs> so, how are you, man? Are you, are you, sorry, I'm talking. Like, how are you getting on, man? I'm well. Welcome yeah. to Peterborough Radio. Oh, great! It's good Thanks, to man. be in
1: a studio. Studio. That's because it. the soundproofing is so awesome that you won't get any. Echo here, which is the bane of your life if you're doing podcasts. The echo, the sound quality is always a problem. So I thought I'd invite you in here. Where hopefully the sound will be top notch. We say that now, uh, you'll get comments, people saying, no, it wasn't very good at all. Yeah, we've tempted
0: fate now. Look, I say this is this is lovely, but how long have you been here? How long have you been in doing I've radio? I've
1: been doing this for more than a year here at this particular station. So I started earlier in the oh, beginning of 2016, actually. Right, yeah, great. I've been doing a, the Comedy Canon radio show, which I do at PeaceBoard Radio and on Twitch Radio in Birmingham. Mm. And of course, separately, there's the Comedy Canon podcast, which is the No Holds Barred, No censorship. Yeah. <laughs> you can swear as much as you like version right. of my interviews. But obviously the ones that I do on the radio, you've got to stick to really Ofcom edits, rules. Of and you've
0: got to make sure that you uh, temper your language. You've been doing this since 2016, right? The, the, you're, you're basically at three shows. You're, well, you're one show that you're editing, uh, the easy book version, which you release to the internet, and the really annoying version that to stick to the rules of Ofcom, right? Yes. And yes. what has been the most tense and difficult moment of... Don't have to name, but there's been situations, I'm sure, when you've had to kind of go, oh, man, this... What is the worst interview you've ever done so far? OK, not naming any names. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Right. There's going to be serious people like kind of go, oh, what, what exactly, what number? Was it, like, <laughs> over 100 or is it below 50? What is it? Where exactly is it?
1: Well, I'm only In up to episode 50. about 75, 80 at the sure, moment sure. on the Comedy Canon. Let's firstly say the vast, vast, vast majority of the interviews have been fantastic. The interviewees have been fantastic. However, the tough interviews are always the people who have nothing to say. They're the really difficult ones. The people who have, either have nothing to say because they don't have enough experience or don't have any interesting stories to tell or, on the other hand, are shy and nervous and don't want to say much hmm. because they're afraid that what they say may end up making them look bad. Hmm. So they hold back too much. Hmm. I think most of the interviewees, they understand that it's just a chat. Yeah. But the ones who get very nervous don't make for good interviewees because mm. they're worried. And so they're not ready to let go and give their full
0: opinion. You've been doing comedy now for how long? Oh, coming up to four years oh, later yeah. in the year. Yeah, yeah so yes. not as long as people usually well, think. It. You've been doing comedy long enough that you've got your own stalker. Two. You've got two stalkers now. Are they? they, they no, are they actually, no, one? no. I have gone back
1: down to one okay. because, great news, one of my stalkers recently contacted me, apologised, and said, I'm really sorry if I've caused you any grief, any problems, and I would like to just say that I no longer want to beat you up, <laughs> which is nice. He mm. actually took time out to contact me and say, I would not like any more bad blood between us. Yeah. And so thank you very much. But yeah, I do have another stalker oh, wow. who turns
0: up at a lot of gigs to ruin the... Yeah. Was that the one that I saw at that gig in in Tipton area, was it? Well, this was a gig uh, in Birmingham, Danny for- Beats gig. That's right. Yeah, yes. Yeah, 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 that's yes. right. He was mm-hmm.
1: the one who turned up, yes. So yeah. he's still my stalker. However, the other stalker has given up the ghost now okay. and realised the error of his ways. You've
0: broken up now. <laughs> it, it's, it's
1: been put to <laughs> bed, you know, that's it. But,
0: like, you still have this other guy and, like, yeah, he turns up at every gig, right?
1: The problem is that I've had a website for me in terms of comedy before I started performing comedy, okay? And this is something that I did that most people don't do. Mm. because I was always very digitally savvy digital marketing is what I do for a living so mm. I have a website and that has been there for more than five years I think and my diary is on the website so mm. anybody who wants to stalk me it's incredibly easy because mm. it's public it's public knowledge where I will be
0: on certain dates and so he picks the ones that are convenient for him he doesn't put the effort in you no. know that's it you think that a stalker would be committed he'd be <laughs> there waiting for you outside of work but no he's like oh uh, he's a lazy yeah stalker. going through your bins tapping that's your phone it. that kind of no putting enough effort into this relationship you know <laughs> <laughs> so you started about four years ago right Less um, so. and you have been doing loads of characters as well haven't you how many characters have you got now well here's the thing the character that everybody knows is bam bam shake of course this is
1: the character that was the first thing i ever wrote when i started to do comedy mm. about three and a bit years ago he's proved ludicrously popular with audiences <laughs> And so he's the one that's come to dominate things. Not my favourite character, because I think I've developed far more as a comedian than he can offer. He's a very two-dimensional character. Even one-dimensional, I would say. Very much a one-note character. He's a horrible, misogynist, racist, evil person, mm. but unaware. He's totally mm. self... you know, No self-awareness whatsoever. But I have done a few others. I did The Indian Rabbi, who is a big fan of gangster movies and models his life and his speech on The Godfather. <laughs> There are a few others there's the world's only freelance homosexual ninja. he was fun to do, yeah, and I've done him in different ways either with a an accent and without an accent, so when I'm doing him with an accent it is usually a yorkshire accent uh then there is that's a homosexual ninja that's the world's only freelance homosexual ninja. <laughs> <laughs>
0: freelance as well I like the freelance yes. bit too it's like yeah he just works for himself you know it does a bit of an on the side and that's it that's great
1: yeah. and then there's a South African policeman guy who is a big fan of apartheid mm-hmm. and was devastated when apartheid ended so he moved to the UK right. and he has become a UKIP politician and that's his shtick mm-hmm. so there's lots of different ones that I've done but what people don't often appreciate is that the vast majority of the time, I'm being me, I'm just doing standard observational comedy, Mm. typical stand-up that you'd expect, uh, usually with a political or
0: satirical bent, and that's what I do a lot of the time when I'm on stage. But what's memorable is Bam Bam, and Mm. that's what people remember. Not really pushing the boundaries at all, just like, you know, just... Taking you can't eat by numbers. You're not, you're not trying to get anyone's back up in any way. I like that. <laughs> just just going through, just doing jokes. I like that. That's, good. So, and your That's fa- me
1: through and through.
0: And your favourite one is what? My favourite is when I'm performing as
1: myself. The reason I did characters, and the reason a lot of comedians who do characters do that, is because when you start, you're nervous, mm. you're full of fear, yeah. and you're worried about how the audience will think of you, how they would react to you, will they heckle you, all that mm. kind of stuff. And having a character is a shield. It's, it's literally a shield that your cowardice puts out there and goes... <laughs> <laughs> you, well, if they hate me, they hate the character. Exactly, It's yeah. not me. It's not personal. It's not me they really don't dislike and absolutely despise. It's the character they have a problem with. As you get braver, you want to cast off the characters. However... You can end up in the situation and quite a few comedians end up Mm. in the situation where the character is more adorned than you (laughs) Mm. and then you end up despising your own creation. And I have reached that point many times, but at the same time it's arrogant to say, No, I will not do this anymore. Mm. It's beneath me. Because the audience like it, mm. and what you're essentially doing in that situation is to say, I know better than my audience, and you mm. don't. You cannot be that arrogant. Mm. The audience know what they think is funny. Yeah. If that's what they want, that's what you should be giving them. Mm. Yes, you've got to satisfy your own creativity by doing the stuff that you want to do, but mm. at the same time, don't give that up. And of course, a lot of the time when I get booked by promoters, they tell me, you are doing X. They don't even ask. They tell me, mm. you are going to be doing X. When you come before my gig, and at that point you're getting paid, you have to do what they want you to
0: do. You put yourself in that box. You know, like yeah. no, but I just want to be me. And it's like I remember doing. Uh, I remember doing like a couple, couple what, a few years ago when I, when I started in Ireland, and I did like a few characters and that. You know, like oh, I to write these characters and a Scottish character, easy enough to do. Uh, like you know, mess about with and like where you think it is, and then you're like you look back, it's terrible. And then you're like, I had a, a French guy again, new stereotypical. Like about three or four characters, right? And then I, I thought for the grand finale. Oh, show them me. Oh, they liked the other guys. They fucking hated me. And I was like, great. And, you know, you thought, this is the big reveal. They're going
1: to love me. No, not at all. I do have another character, actually, that yeah. I haven't mentioned, which okay. is the French guy. You've done a French guy. Yeah. I did a French guy, too. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to do. The French mm. guy that I did, he's called Michel de Fromage. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> there he is. French if you're outside of France, it's a very sexy accent, right? <laughs> Automatically sexy. <Wait>. In France, <laughs> not so much. Right? Yeah, wait. Uh, in France, not so much because, hey, everyone talks like that. But I thought how can I make this funny? Wouldn't it be funny if he was a nerd, like a sci-fi nut or something like that, a horrendous, unlikable person? And if I put that in a French accent, will he still be sexy? And that was an experiment I wanted to try. And it was a really interesting experiment to do. Didn't really last too long, that character. I don't really do him anymore. But you discard stuff. You discard stuff all the time. And then what happens is you might write a joke, and you'll do it as one character, and it will bomb. And then you'll go, okay, that's not going to work. But you try a different character, and it works perfectly, Mm. suddenly. Some of the more horrendous stuff, for example, Bam Bam could get away with. Some of the even more horrendous stuff the South African policeman could get away with Mm. because everybody already assumes... He's a terrible person. And so you can mix and match.
0: And it's nice to play with that. It's Mm -hmm. nice to have that freedom to go, okay, that joke didn't work here, Mm -hmm. but I can move it along to Mm -hmm. this one. You must have hit some really horrendous moments with these characters. They're Marmite, right? Yes. You know, you either love them or they are appalled. Not as Marmite as you might think.
1: Certainly with Bam Bam, he can perform pretty much anywhere in the country and be enjoyed and Mm -hmm. will be liked. There are occasional audiences, either they're very. Politically correct, and that's often in the southeast, not in the rest of the country. Or they're very, very middle class. Mm. The worst, well, they've been quite a few, actually. There were quite a few deaths. But then when you've done seven, 800 gigs, you're going to have quite a few deaths in there, peppered throughout. This happened to me just <laughs> recently, the, about a week and a bit ago, mm. where I did Bam Bam in Sheffield. Mm. And uh, for the first two minutes, they were absolutely horrified. They did not go with it. Because mm-hmm. I have this litmus test joke right at the start. And it's a very clever joke. Mm -hmm. And when I do it, if they go with it, I know this is going to be a good gig. And if they don't, I have to rethink. Mm -hmm. And I did this joke, and they didn't go with it. And I just thought, oh, God, they're thick as shit. If you don't get the clever joke, then chances are you're not very bright as Mm -hmm. an audience. I did it, and it didn't work. I Mm -hmm. thought, okay, this is going to be a struggle. But somehow, after a couple of minutes, they were absolutely bang on with it, and they loved it. And it was great at the end, where they were totally with it, and they were... Mm -hmm up for it and they were shouting stuff out and of course he's the kind of character who's big enough to take the heckles and throw stuff back at them and the worse he gets they love him sometimes it can work really well most of the time it will be quite all right Mm. and then occasionally it won't work when did you decide you wanted to do calmly then Oh, as a teenager? Oh, yeah. 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 Long, long time ago. We're going back, I don't know, almost 20 years or so. Wow. I really wanted to be Bill Hicks. Who but if, doesn't, well, Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Yeah. That's it. Weirdly, now I watch him back, because he's on Netflix. Mm. A lot of his stuff is on Netflix mm. now, a lot of his specials. And it's not as good as you remember. No. It no. Re- it's so disappointing. Mm. But then, of course, I guess the world has changed. Our comedy tastes have changed. There's still a part of me that is mimicking bits of him. Mm-hmm. Not in terms of content, but in terms of style and the bravery, the willingness to push those boundaries. Mm. But of course, you've got to have a gag straight after yeah. to bring them back and go. No, it's still comedy. Yeah. It's all right. It's still comedy. It's yeah. still in a safe space. It's mm. fine. And then I worked at a comedy club, uh, a Glee in Birmingham for a couple of years. Really, mm. really enjoyed that. And of course, the beauty of that is that I went stand at the back of the room every gig to watch the world's best comedians mm. come and perform. All yeah. the big names came and performed, you know. We had Sean Locke, who I saw die horrendously. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we had yeah. we had Darrow Breen and Ross Noble and mm. McIntyre and Ed Byrne and all these guys that you see on mm. TV now. Of course, they came through. Andrew Maxwell was fantastic, mm. phenomenal. Mm. What's interesting was, back in those days, the biggest name on the bill, because it was still the same kind of three comedians and an MC, the biggest, most experienced name on the bill seemed to be the MC the headliner was of course accomplished and very good but the MC was usually the guy who most impressed me and I believe they used to pay the MC more as well above the headliner right. and so things have changed now slightly yeah. MCs aren't given like, the same
0: kudos they're they used looking to be. as the host aren't they just like yes <laughs> you're just the guy oh you should try this as well it's like oh fuck off isn't yeah. it you know that's it is for sure so yeah, you so how long did you work there for? Oh a couple of years. Oh right. That cool.
1: was it. And then I kinda of moved into the corporate world and yeah. enjoyed some successes there, which meant I kept getting promoted again and again and again and again. Comedy and all those creative dreams took a back seat. But I never forgot those dreams. Mm. I always wanted to do creative things. Yeah. Then about, ooh, about four years ago I started thinking seriously, you know, you need to you need to give this mm. a chance. You're gonna be too old and you don't wanna be one of those fifty, sixty somethings trying to have a late midlife crisis, Mm. doing comedy and probably not succeeding because you need a run-up of about four or five years to Mm. really start motoring, to Mm. get on your, to understand the industry, to understand the craft. Mm. I think most people need about four or five
0: years before they become reasonably good. Definitely. What was the moment in that job that you kind of went, oh no, I I literally cannot do another excel document in this job i just need to <laughs> drop keyboard a mouse about and like smash that was there was there a falling down moment at your job or did you just go N- no or just not turn up
1: no, there was no moment like that. Because I still do that stuff. I still like the Excel <laughs> spreadsheet. Man. <laughs> I still like the Excel spreadsheet. I'm very good with the Excel <laughs>
0: spreadsheet.
1: Not admin. No, I'm very good at yeah, the admin. Yeah, I'm, you know, yeah. I'm, I, have a, I have legal training. I have accountancy training. Okay. I've got marketing training like you wouldn't believe. I've got a huge amount of experience in those areas. So yeah. I wouldn't be doing those things if I didn't enjoy them. This is the thing. I really did love doing those things. Yeah. And I'm competent, I think. And in the world of work, competence makes you a superstar Mm. the kind of person who gets things done Mm -hmm. and for me it's there's something very satisfying about hitting those targets Mm. about reaching those goals that you're set for me it's really enjoyable Mm -hmm. but at the same time you can be a little bit creative in it
0: but not as creative as you want to be so what's the plan then you're seriously business-minded so what is your plan to get by in this fucking gauntlet of comedy I don't know. I think I come to comedy in a very different way to almost all
1: comedians. Mm. <laughs> in that comedy was never going to be my whole life. Mm. I already have a wonderful life that I quite enjoy. So I never wanted to be like a circuit comedian. I wasn't interested in that life because I've done the traveling. I've mm. done the all over the world, living in hotels, away from your family, sick of it, do not want to do that. Mm. And so the idea of being on the circuit never appealed to me. I just wanted to prove to myself that I could do stand-up. I could do comedy like those heroes that I really liked to do my teenage years. Mm. My current immediate plan is I'm going to be going to Edinburgh next year, so 2018. Mm. I'm going to do some previews of a new work-in-progress show that I'm working on right now. It's called Islamophobic Muslim. That's mm. the working title. It may change. But I think that as a, as a title, that's got some marketing, let's say, appeal. Mm. I'm pretty sure people will come and see a show called Islamophobic. A big it?
0: fat hook, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is a big fat hook. And <laughs> the one you did last year, wasn't it? That that fringe show, what Travels with Autism. Travels with Autism, right? Yes. You have autism. Yes. Right, because you do so many on the edge things that I think people just start to think look this guy he's just doing this for the big fat juicy hook just so he can get people into the thing because I mean, that's what I'm sure people of have course. said to you isn't it of course but, it I mean, is I, and, and like that is I know I'm not trying to rile you with that question I'm just or that statement because you're doing all these characters which are so not PC in any way but really are they're massive talking <laughs> points <laughs> you know, it's going to get you a lot of press and you're a digital marketer as well so you could see that I guess that that cynicism could really be, you might be con- con- conceived as, as being overly cynical that's
1: fine I'm a trained journalist. List. Yeah, I was taught how to write headlines to grab people's attention. And people often go, oh, you know, some people don't like what you're doing. That's fine. Mm. They are not the target audience, particularly if they're comedians. Oh, so-and-so comedian doesn't like what you're doing. Mm. So-and-so, I don't care. Mm. You are not my target audience, yeah. okay? Mm. My target audience is the public. Mm. They are the people I'm trying to appeal to. Mm. I think far too many comedians do this where they think the comedy industry is their target market. It's not. The comedy industry is not your target market. Mm -hmm. Your target market are the punters out there. Mm -hmm. Those are the people you want to appeal to. And it doesn't matter if the whole of the comedy industry thinks you're a dick as long as the public are interested and they buy tickets. Mm -hmm. That's all that matters. I mean... I've worked in comedy clubs, and I know comedy promoters very, very well. Mm -hmm. I've been one myself at various points. Here's the truth that people don't want to hear. As far as a comedy promoter is concerned, they don't care if you're despised by your peers. They don't care if you're a joke thief. They don't care if you're a hack Mm -hmm. doing stolen jokes, or even your own jokes from 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. They do not give a shit. All they care about is... Does my audience enjoy what you've done? Will they come back because they enjoyed it? Mm -hmm. That's all that matters Mm -hmm. as far as the comedy promoters are concerned because this is a business, Mm -hmm. okay? These comedy promoters, these comedy clubs, they've built up a fan base for themselves. They're very protective of that. Mm -hmm. And all that matters is, do the audience like you? Now, I'm not saying go out and be a shit, Well, that's not what i'm saying yeah but what i'm saying is as far as the comedy industry as the people who book you and the people who own venues are concerned they don't care if you're complete shit and obviously don't care because so many very successful and popular people in showbiz are complete shits they don't care as long as you bring the punters in that's all that matters to them yeah yeah. i think a lot of people particularly when they're new either don't realize that or forget that What matters is what the public think of you. Don't worry about what your peers think of you. Your peers aren't going to put money in your pocket. But in terms of the, the clickbait thing, that i do why not if if you could you would if you exactly. were as good at this at me, <laughs> as me
0: if you were as good
1: at this as i am yeah.
0: you would do it is there a book you're going to release regarding digital marketing is there something because that sounds like you could also make it a bit of money from that i do do
1: the, i don't have a book i do consult i do right. sell my services as a digital marketing specialist to lots and lots of different businesses mm. including Uh, Some comedy clubs and some comedy promoters, um, other comedians, Mm. uh, people who are doing other businesses who are connected to the comedy industry, they've Mm. heard about me and gone, oh, well, he actually knows what he's doing in terms of getting a big reach for a product or a service. Or they hear that I sold out a lot of tickets in my Mm. last Edinburgh run Mm. and without doing any flyering, without doing any posters, Mm -hmm. and still people came. So somehow Mm. I've got the now the ability to attract an audience through digital marketing,
0: through viral marketing. Mm. And so I get a lot of business now out of that. Great, yeah. You're just sidestepping the circuit altogether. That's why you look so rested, Jay, isn't it? That's it. <laughs> Generally, yeah. I'm a really relaxed
1: person, and I'm really looking forward to this next phase, this mm. next show. Right. And the reason I'm doing this particular show is Muslim mm. is that I've got some gay friends who I like as people, and what's interesting is that they describe themselves as homophobic homosexuals. Right. And I'm, I was really intrigued by that. You're a homophobic, homosexual. What, what do you mean? Mm. And I went, well, it's because we like the, the cock, but we don't <laughs> like the people attached to them, usually. I was right. like, oh, so we don't belong in that community. Yeah. We don't feel like we belong in that community. Yeah. But we are part of that community. Yeah. We can't escape that fact, mm. but we don't want to be in many ways. We don't enjoy the culture and we don't fit in. I thought, you know what, that... That sums me up to a T when it comes to the Muslim community. I don't really feel like I belong in that community. I don't really enjoy the culture of that community, Mm -hmm. but I can't escape it either. Mm -hmm. And so this show will be about that. And it probably will be reasonably controversial in that I am willing to criticise and make fun of the Muslim community. Mm -hmm. Now, you're from Ireland. Mm -hmm. There probably was a time, and I'm sure there was a time, when you could never do that for the Catholic Church, could you? Mm -hmm. You couldn't do that. Because they were all powerful. I mean, we're going back 50, 60, 70 years, let's Mm. say. But things changed Mm -hmm. when people like Dave Allen came along, when people like Father Ted just ripped into (laughs) the Catholic Church, right? true. And eventually their power waned and you could make comedy about it quite comfortably, Mm -hmm. right? But for those pioneers, those people first doing it, there were uncomfortable moments Mm -hmm. and I'm sure they were vilified. I kind of see myself doing something similar because I see the Muslim community as... Full of hypocrisy, mm. full of lies, okay, full of very unpalatable views, mm. which aren't necessarily Islamic, but are ripe for satire, are ripe mm. for poking fun at. That's it. And the issue, of course, now in the current climate is that because the far right have decided that they want to criticise Islam, mm. not because they actually have a problem with Islam, right. they just have a problem with black and brown people, but they can't be overtly racist. Mm-hmm. So they kind of just go out and say, oh, I hate Africans and I hate these immigrants from Asia because they'll get get done. It's hate crime. Mm -hmm. They'll get done by the police. They'll get taken to court. So they found a workaround, which Mm -hmm. is, well, we'll have a go at Islam because most Muslims are brown or black. So it's convenient. Because the far right are doing that, polite society, which I think will be 90% of our society, are uncomfortable now with anything that might even remotely be seen as critical of Islam or Muslims because... They don't want to be associated with the far right. Criticising Islam, criticising Muslims, is a signal that you're far right, essentially. and Or at least that's how it's seen, that's how it's perceived. And so most people don't want to be perceived that way because yeah. we are not you know, a far right country mm. at all. We are not a far right society. The far right haven't done particularly well electorally at any point, really. Mm. I mean, the high point was when Nick Griffin got into the European Parliament, but mm. since then, nothing much has happened. I know people will be uncomfortable with this, but it's my job to preach and be funny now whether I'm able to do that successfully I don't know but I suspect a lot of people will
0: come to see the show I say you're saying there's parallels between the Catholic and the Muslim community because when I first moved over to Wolverhampton that's exactly how it was, I was like you guys don't get let out as well, you don't you don't, don't leave the house until you're 18 then you go to college and you go mental, something bad happens and then you, they, they cover it all up and then you get married <laughs> off and that's what happens and that's what it was like back in the day you know in Ireland it was just slowly coming out of that of course you know but and that sort of cultural village that you have surrounding you, it's just a massive community that that just, just snitches on each other all the time oh yeah as you say with the Father Ted stuff blew the stuff wide open and it was, it was so we could poke fun at it it was great but with the, your show is, sorry is, is Islamophobic Muslim that is a perfect time to write a sitcom to do with that or on the back of that uh, idea because then it was just like oh well I've done this thing and this is the because it would just it would highlight everything and, and the stuff that people don't know about the that religion and would just go look This is what actually happens. Well, this is the tough part because there are very few frames of reference that
1: are common between me and the audience, Mm. particularly a mainstream audience. If Mm. I speak to a Muslim audience, they will understand what I'm talking about when I refer to certain hypocrisies within the community. Mm. So the tough part will be communicating what those aspects are Mm. before poking fun at them because Mm. you've got to make them understand where I'm coming Mm. from, why... I'm making fun of certain aspects of the community. Mm. So I would love it if (laughs) we could have an equivalent of Father Ted for the Muslim community. Mm. I think it would be fantastic Mm. if we could get to that point. Mm. I think we will eventually get to that point. Mm. That point is coming. I know that, what's that show, Citizen Khan, has done a kind of similar thing where, I think it's Chris Marshall who plays the the imam at the mosque. And, of course, he's a white guy. He's a convert. (laughs) And the racism in the community... against him (laughs) because he's white and people like you shouldn't put that out there but the reality is that does exist there is a huge amount of racism towards white people Mm. within the muslim community huge amount of racism against africans for example it's not as bad now that we're several generations in The racism that does exist is still from the first generation Mm. and the older generation who have less connection to wider society. And so they live in an insular world, Mm. only speaking whatever language, Urdu or Punjabi or Arabic or, you know, something like that. But younger generation, they're kind of getting it more. And also the education in actual islam is better where it's overtly Mm anti-racist as a religion there is no such concept as racial superiority it's actually one of the most important aspects of islam that your value as a person is about nothing but how you are as a person Mm -hmm. who you are Mm -hmm. towards other people the younger generation understand that but of course they still inherit a racist mindset from Mm -hmm. their parents Mm -hmm. they do and a belief in their own cultural religious superiority Mm -hmm. racial superiority Mm -hmm. That still exists, mm-hmm. and I think that's worth bringing out and poking fun at. Because mm-hmm. when you bring it out and poke fun at it, it the impact of it lessens over time. It mm-hmm. becomes irrelevant at yeah. a certain point.
0: There's so much more stuff to play with after that because the amount of heat you're going to get from that show—it's going to be great.
1: Yes, that will be, be interesting. I do get plenty of hate mail. <laughs> I'm looking forward oh, sorry, to. Uh, sorry, heat. My... I didn't say well. Heat or hate, both. I think that if I make it funny enough, mm. the heat won't matter. Mm. It won't matter at all because mm-hmm. if people come wanting to hate it and I'm funny, I win. If yeah. people come wanting to love yeah. it and yeah. they do, I win. I if people come just out of curiosity and it's great, I win. Yeah. It's all down to me to make it a success. I'm well aware of
0: that and the pressure is on. So you started your podcast in two thousand sixteen, right? Yes. And you were talking earlier about like what what was you have a pet peeve about podcasts. What is that? You said philosophy <sighs> about podcasts, you say.
1: I think most comedians make terrible podcasters. (laughs) I genuinely do. Mm -hmm. And I have real bugbears. And the reason I started my podcast was that I was seeing so many people do it so badly, Mm -hmm. horrendously badly, and then go, oh, I don't understand why it's not doing better. And there are so many simple things you can do to make your podcast good. Firstly, there is a reason most TV shows are between 22 and 44 minutes long. Mm. Because that's the human attention span. So no one's going to listen to your 90-minute podcast, your two-hour podcast Mm. episode. Some were two and a half hours. Comedians putting out two and a half-hour podcasts Mm. and thinking the world was interested in listening to them talk for two and a half hours Mm. to their mates Mm. about their shopping trip that week, okay? Nobody cares. Mm. How self-indulgent are you that you think you're worth listening to for two and a half hours Mm. talking about your dreary, boring life? Secondly... (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say this. things. No, I'm, things. Just, no, I'm, I'm totally. I'm, I'm just, I'm just like, how, how much of my life have I talked about? I'm not sure yet. No, i have just Go on. Go on. Uh,
1: secondly, yeah, go on. the other reason that I think comedians make terrible podcasts, and again, it comes back to self indulgence, mm-hmm. is they think that, when, particularly the interview podcasts where they bring a guest on. Mm. They think that they're the most important person in that podcast episode. And in fact, in every podcast episode they do. They're wrong. Mm -hmm. You are not the most important person. If you invite a guest onto your show, Mm -hmm. your guest is the most important person. And chances are people are tuning in to listen to your guest. Mm -hmm. Okay. So ask them a question. Shut the fuck up. And let them talk. (laughs) And I hear this all the time, comedians mm. interrupting their guests constantly for two reasons. One, oh, the audience haven't heard me say anything for three minutes. I better pipe up mm. because I'm important. And secondly, well, I'm funnier than them. And it's this one-upmanship bullshit yeah. where your guest is talking and they'll think of a gag mm. or they think it's a gag mm. and they'll interrupt their guest in mid-flow to get their gag out. Mm. It's like, really, you're, again, you're trying to make it about yourself when you've got a great guest in here talking saying something interesting, but you're still obsessed with making it all about you. Don't do that. Uh, so those things really annoy me. And the third thing that really annoys me is people putting out podcast. Well, four things, actually. I'm going to come to four. <laughs> the third thing that annoys me is people who are not willing to put in the effort to make a good product, mm-hmm. okay? Because TV shows, radio shows, podcasts, videos, DVDs, whatever, it's a product you're putting out there. Okay, you won't charge people for it, but it's a product you're putting out there. And... What's terrible is when people just record a podcast, stick out the raw audio and go, that's me done. Mm. Well, you do edit yours. Mm -hmm. And I know you edit yours because I edit mine quite heavily. And you can hear when a podcast has been edited well or not edited at all. Mm -hmm. And the ones that aren't edited at all are usually dreadful. When I do mine, my objective is to make my guests sound great and me sound great. That's it. Right? That's very important. Mm. So, So... I edit out all the silences. I edit out all the lines they fluff. I will edit out Mm. all the ums and the ers and the you knows and like, so that their vocal sounds like it's flowing. Everybody on my podcast sounds fantastic. Mm. That's good for me because it's good for my listeners, and it's good for them, because that's something they can share with people and go, here's me mm. explaining my philosophy on something, mm. and I sound great. Exactly. And the fourth thing, Patreon. Why? <laughs> I would never dare ask for Patreon donations <laughs> for my podcast. Okay, I know you <laughs> yeah, do. I do, I do, you I do. 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 Loads of people do. And think. I
0: have done, I, the first video release, I made a massive error, a fatal error. I think that there should be a, a joy roll for people who hate people who use Patreon, because some really terrible donation videos, right? And my, one is definitely my first one right. I released. It was awful. And I was like, what have I done? What have I, I mean, whoever was interested in the podcast or, or even like clicked on it, it was like, what the fuck is this? I mean, like I've taken that one down and I've put up one that's a little bit more professional now. Right. But it's like, a, if you want to, why not? It, it was so desperate, the first one I put up. It was so, I hated it. I just, I, I hate, I was like, oh my God, Winter, what are you doing to yourself? You're prostrating yourself for- For what is it's like to be very little money in the exactly, end. Exactly. You You're know. giving up your
1: Mm. And the issue I have Mm. is, if I was having a chat with a comedian in the pub and somebody was overhearing our conversation, I wouldn't ask them for a donation afterwards. <laughs> but that's what you're doing the podcasts, folks. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I've had a chat with someone for my own sake. Mm. Please give me money. Mm. What the fuck are you doing? Mm. Why would you do that? I would never do that. I think it's undignified. And so I would never ask for Patreon donations mm. for my podcast, ever. But I know hundreds of people do. Yeah. I know you do. If it works yeah. for you, fair enough. I just think it's undignified. Yeah, have, have I been controversial <laughs> enough? <laughs> Great. So that is Jay Islam's philosophy on podcasting, right? Yes. And I think I can speak with some authority given that my podcast has been on the homepage of iTunes for the last year and a bit. Just a few weeks ago, I hit 250,000 downloads in a year. So I would say I generally know what I'm doing Mm. and that I've put out a reasonably good podcast. (laughs) You people out there, you can ignore everything I have to say and you can do it your way. And of course you can. And if you think that... You know, I'm absolutely wrong. Fair enough. Mm. Try it. Try it your own way. Ignore everything I've said. But those are my
0: best practices that I'm putting out there. Once you call me when you're since you're like very young, right? Yes. Uh, But teenager. Yes. What was the thing? went. Oh, The switcher went, oh, this. I could do this. Oh, I can definitely do this.
1: Do you know what? There wasn't any one point where yeah. I thought that. Because I know people always talk about, oh, I saw so-and-so comedian and they were great. And I thought, oh, they're from the same place I am, always from the same neck of the woods that I grew up. So why can't I? I had a Geordie comedian on my podcast who said that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was another comedian who said, I saw someone at a big gig one of the big pro clubs and they were dreadful and I thought well if they could do it (laughs) so Mm. could I that didn't happen for me I just wanted to push myself to try things that I was scared of doing and of course we're all scared of doing it that Mm. never goes away I don't Mm. think I don't Mm -hmm. think I've ever stopped being terrified now that I'm even now that I'm 800 or so gigs in it's still scary and it should be I think do you know the exact number of gigs I've stopped counting at about 800. Okay, fair play. I just can't be bothered (laughs) anymore. But I do have a spreadsheet, so I could go back and check, because I have the full list of all the ones I've done, but it's about 800-something. Now, I just wanted to test myself, and I think I'm just one of those people who will push myself for new experiences, for new things, and test my own limits. And this is one of the things where I was testing my own limits. I really enjoyed it and kept going. I mean, my first gig, proper, proper gig, because... I did some ages ago one-offs, open my key things, was on the top of the double-decker bus in Edinburgh. <laughs> they used to have a double-decker bus parked outside Three Sisters where Laughing Horse would run shows upstairs. And I did a comedy course with Laughing Horse mm. because I was going out to Edinburgh, I wanted to try it. The only way I could guarantee myself a gig at the Edinburgh Fringe was to do their course because it came with a showcase mm. spot at the end. And so I agreed to do that. That was an interesting experience because... I'm not a big fan of comedy courses, Mm. and I'm still not a big fan of comedy courses. I think that you can learn a hell of a lot asking somebody with experience for tips, Mm. but there's nothing that matches the experience you get from raw stage time. Stage time is all you really need to get better. I mean, some people will be naturally gifted, they'll go up and they'll develop faster than others, but ultimately, you need to get on stage, you need to put in... Those hours, you need to tread those boards Mm. to make yourself better and stronger Mm. and sharper. And you will get rusty if you take time off. I've noticed that as well, having taken certain spells off Mm. a couple of months here and there. But that gig was interesting because the tutor told me I was going to die on my arse. I was the only person who was told I would die on my arse. This was with Bam Bam. Hated the material, was very uncomfortable with me doing... showcase because (laughs) the tutor thought if I send you out there people will know you've come from my course Mm. and when you do badly you will taint my good name all the other course participants were told they were wonderful they were going to have a great gig and they were finding their comedy voice which was bullshit obviously Mm. because all of us had never really done it before Mm. and then we all went up one by one and everyone died on their ass, and then I went up and smashed it <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I nice. nice. just went really really well That's and the great. audience came on board they really enjoyed Excellent. it and maybe I'm remembering that wrong maybe I've created a myth in my head that, <laughs> that that gig went really well but I do remember everybody doing badly and me coming off going
0: yeah that was good <laughs> even if you don't agree with that, that what that person's doing you can see some comedic value in what they're creating
1: I don't think that the feedback I got from the course tutor was Malicious. Right. I think it was well intentioned. They genuinely believed I was going to die on my ass because sure. what I was doing was so harsh. Mm-hmm. It was pushing the boundaries mm. too much. I think most of us understand that. Be able to push the boundaries and get away with it. You either need to be exceptionally talented, <laughs> exceptionally likable, mm. or lucky. Mm. I think I got lucky. Mm. That's the thing that happened. Because if you're very experienced, you understand how to build trust with audience very quickly, and then you can push with really harsh material. Mm-hmm. I had no experience. And so I think I just happened to get lucky with an audience that were going to go with the stuff Mm -hmm. that I was doing because I'm not likable.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw you doing some Trump stuff the other day. What happened? Yeah, this is another comedy
1: character I did. This pre-election, I mm. was doing a character called Donnie Trump. And the reason I created Donnie Trump, who is the son of Donald Trump, mm. is that I was asked to do a Muslim comedy show, a Muslim gig. Now, I'd never done Muslim gigs. I had no interest in doing Muslim gigs. I consider myself, like I said, not very connected to the community. I consider myself very mainstream as a performer, as an entertainer, as an artist. And I had to something new because they were never going to go with my existing material. This pre-election room thought I will invent a new character. And the new character was called Donnie Trump. He was the son of Donald Trump, and the conceit of the set was that we were imagining that he has come to you, the audience, and you, the audience, are a group of Muslims in a concentration camp post-election, because Daddy's won. Mm-hmm. And he is going to explain to you your place in the new America mm-hmm. now that Donald Trump is in charge. Mm-hmm. And I invented that character specifically for that, not expecting them to get it, not expecting them to like it. And weirdly, they loved it. They absolutely got it. I managed to sneak in some blasphemy within there, which some people were uncomfortable with. Mm. But at that point, when I brought it out, I'd already built the trust. They understood the concept, right? right, That we're making fun of this idea that Donald Trump is going to win and Mm. send you all to concentration camps, which then he did win, weirdly, (laughs) uh, which I didn't expect. But, and, and then I snuck in some references to pornography uh, but about half the audience laughed at uh, because they were subtle references and you could tell who the perverts were Mm -hmm. uh, by who was laughing and a lot of confused faces. Mm -hmm. That was a frightening gig. Mm. That was a really scary gig because this is an audience I'm used to Mm -hmm. performing to. I've done a couple more one of them went very very badly Mm. uh one of them went very very well i don't know if i can work that kind of audience that particular demographic but i may try it again in future but Mm. i don't think i appeal to the muslim community at all because i have no sacred cows (laughs) there's nothing sacred Mm. to me that is too much to make fun of there are certain Mm. things i won't make fun of out of fear uh, of being killed but Mm. On the whole, I will make fun of lots of different things. I mean, I make reference to the Prophet Muhammad marrying a six-year-old girl within one of my sets. And I did that at the Glee Club. The audience were very uncomfortable with it. And I knew straight away, hold on, you've probably pushed too far. Mm. But what was weird was when I was leaving the venue, one of the bouncers came up to me and had a go at me. He was a Muslim. And he said, I'm not happy with what you did on stage. I think it's very bad that you're showing these people that side of our community. Community. I was like, but you know what? I didn't invent it. I didn't make this up. This is already in the holy texts. Can't have a go at me. Mm. I didn't set out to invent a lie. I just presented information that's already there and part of the faith. And that's why I don't think the community will really mm. fate me as a hero, as they do many Muslim comedians. There are many Muslim comedians who are wonderful at working that audience, mm. and they're very popular within that audience. I don't expect to ever be
0: popular within that audience. Yeah, I remember you did a set for Spiky Mike talking about that gig that you... That, I think it was a different gig. Yes. So you died on your arse at this gig. Yes. Because because it was at the point of that, because he said that it's really well paid. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Muslim comedy shows are all really well paid. Yeah. And there's Christian Circuit as well. That's really yeah. well paid. And there are comedians who just work at these particular circuits. There are yeah. comedians who only do Muslim comedy gigs. Mm. They make a huge amount of money out of mm. it. They have a fantastic following fair play to them Mm -hmm. right good for them Mm. they found a niche they're working Mm. it hard it's show business yeah go work the business but yeah i did a very big muslim comedy gig totally misunderstood uh misjudged that audience they did not like me and i was asked not to do because you were booked for a run and I was asked not to do any more. But they let me keep the money, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't go with, You went as yourself, did you? Yes. I didn't do the characters. And people have said to me afterwards, you know, you may have got away with a lot more if you did the characters. Oh, yeah. Because when you do characters, they're already ludicrous. Yeah. So when you say anything, people understand this is going to be a joke, right? Whereas... I think I just... Oh, you just misjudge sometimes, Mm. occasionally. I did another one after that, another Muslim heavy gig. They're rarely billed as Muslim only, Mm. because you can't do that. Anyone can buy a ticket, but Mm. it uh, it was all right. I went up and I just made fun of my family, and... The kind of transphobia, really, actually, mm. and they they understood. They understood what I was doing. In that we are a transphobic community, mm. and, you know. Yeah, we will make fun of people who are transgender, but <laughs> at the same time, I kept it simple. Yeah. I kept it really simple, and they were all right with it. Your, your family come to see you perform?
0: Never. not once. So they know. They know. Obviously, they they're know, aware. Right? They know. They're aware. And yeah, yeah I mean, because like, the community is pretty tight, right? They go right. They this you at this gig. They just. It's like it's better than the internet, right? It goes straight back.
1: Yes. Right. yes everybody okay. does know in the community generally mm. what i do uh some of them have seen me blonde uh, yeah. and probably ask questions mm. about why is
0: he blonde now um, <laughs> but on the whole <laughs> and if it's like a i say it's that transphobic and and, and like oh, homophobic yeah. and like oh he's blonde well he
1: must be gay, yeah, he must be gay yes yeah. <laughs> no i don't think they think so they're aware i'm pretty yeah. sure the community generally that i do comedy i've never had any family ever come to see me. I have occasionally had once or twice work colleagues have come to see me. Enjoyed it, so it's all right. Again, it's it's a very, very limited number. I keep my personal and professional life very separate from my comedy world. Mm -hmm. I don't really want those two worlds to collide. That's fair. So you're a journalist, you said. You, you're training in journalism. Where was, did you do that? I trained with the BBC right. a long time ago. Mm. We're going back a decade and a bit. It was really good. I think I was one of the last tranche of people that did this particular training with the BBC. Mm. They trained you in broadcast journalism and journalism generally mm-hmm. so what they did was you, you do a lot of classroom stuff and then they'd farm you out different things uh, so go and work on a particular radio thing or go and work on even the local newspaper not tv at that point although i did work in tv journalism later on behind the scenes but it was a really good training for teaching you how to communicate however i think better training came when i was working in banking and they taught you how to be a salesman that is the most useful training i think i've ever done mm-hmm. it's exceptionally useful in terms of comedy because it teaches you how to be succinct, how to get to the point quickly, but also how to be likeable. Mm. I think being likable is really important if you're mm. doing comedy. Mm-hmm. It's so important. In terms of journalism, it's the marketing skills and the contacts that it gave me that have been most mm. useful. Do you any more work for the BBC, freelance work, journalism work? Or, not at the moment. I'm, I'm considering whether to go back into broadcasting, but I mm. think it's one of those where, you know, a lot of journalists become PR people afterwards, mm. and that's because it pays so much better. Mm. Journalism as an industry, as a craft, is dying, not just in this country, worldwide. We have a real problem with budgets being slashed left, right and Centre, local journalism, community journalism is on its knees right now. Things are very bad out there. Mm. Um, And so trying to build a career in journalism starting now is a waste of time, Mm. really, because if you think about it, blogs have taken over, news spreads on Twitter now. It's the nationals that have consolidated their grip on all the locals Mm. and downsized all the local hubs. So, for example, in Birmingham, where I'm often Birmingham Mail, has hardly any staff left. They're part of the Mirror Group, and so what will happen is, if a big story breaks locally, as often does, let's say at nine o'clock in the evening, they don't have anyone to cover it. And it's awful. You'll, You'll go on their website, or even BBC Birmingham, you'll go on their website going, oh, something's happening, I've saw it on Twitter. It's happening down the street, let's find out what's going on. BBC Birmingham won't cover it, Birmingham Mail won't be covering it. One of the nationals might be really... The reason they're not covering it is they don't have any staff to go and cover it at that point. They don't have the budget. They don't have the money that they used to. And a big part of that is newspaper publications are through the floor right now. Mm -hmm. Nobody reads proper newspapers anymore. Everything's online. Advertising for online is much less. They can't afford to have a reasonable staff. So do you
0: do any other writing apart from your just your, your comedy? Do you do sketches as well? And I
1: don't. I do try and write articles every now and then when something mm. inspires me. I do pitch articles to newspapers all the time. Mm. But again, the big issue is getting paid. I'm not particularly keen on throwing stuff out there for free. Mm. Yes, it's good at, in one way because it gets your name out there and you get a byline and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But I've done enough of that. I'd rather not be giving it away for free. Occasionally, I'll write something, I'll shop it around to all the major news sources if they all turn it down then I'll stick it on Huffington Post and just do it that way because Huffington Post won't pay you but it's really good for Google rank it's really good for linking back to your own stuff and it helps your online presence your online footprint again writing you know now that everyone's a blogger and everyone's micro blogging on Twitter and Facebook it's a dying art I mean photojournalism as a a skill as a job has disappeared since technology came along and everybody has a phone with a camera on it photojournalism doesn't exist anymore in the way that it used to. I think journalism is going that way as well, which is really sad. It's a real shame because who's going to hold our society and particularly our politicians to account? It's not going to be the billionaires who own the nationals. So you think, right, I'm just batten down the hatches and just plough your way through what what path you're trying to get to in, in comedy, Right. Well, comedy, but also I'm going to keep my hand in as far as the corporate world is concerned because I have skills that are valuable, that are desirable Mm. to the corporate world. And so I'm going to be offering those constantly to whoever I can. I would love to do something in the arts, maybe work for an arts company, an arts centre, for example. But those kind of jobs don't appear very often and they don't pay particularly well either. I'll just keep plugging away the way I have been for the last few years, keeping both things running simultaneously. Hmm. Are you doing other, other festivals? No, I am taking a bit of a break at the moment Why? from doing comedy. I think I've reached a certain point where I need one. I think I've done a huge amount of gigs in a small amount of time. And they've been really fun and I've really enjoyed it. But it's time to step back a little, enjoy the summer, which I haven't managed to do properly for a few years, and then come back to comedy later in the year. So maybe I'll take three, four months off. And of course you get a little rusty and you need to go back to those open mics and the new material nights to get back into the rhythm of things and get your technique sharp again. But a few months off won't harm you. So tell me, what's your worst gig you've ever done? You know, Ugh. so many, man. have <laughs> <laughs> <No. laughs> bad ones. Absolute worst probably was, I think there was a Women's Institute event that I was <laughs> asked to do Last a minute because somebody had dropped out, and I was in the area, and I was told, "Can you go and do ten minutes at this women 's institute thing it 's in a church, a um, huge church <laughs> I arrived and the headliner was going to do one hour, and she wasn 't really a comedian; she was like an actor mm. who had written a thing about her travel somewhere blah blah. Mm. She's going to do an hour. I just needed someone to warm up the crowd a little, so I arrive and it's a lovely group of very polite middle-class ladies mm. in a very lovely part of Birmingham. But first thing I notice is there's no stage at all. Everything's on the same level. They're all sitting on round tables. The front of the room to the first table is about ten meters. And they ask me, oh, do you need a sound check? Yeah, why not? Let's have a look at your equipment. And their equipment is a karaoke speaker. Now, mind you, this is a huge, huge, huge room. It's a karaoke speaker with a cheap Argos microphone that they have clearly got just that day and a lead that is, I think, a metre and a half long. So I'm tethered to this karaoke speaker, an audience at least 10 metres away from me who can't really hear me either. And I start performing. They sit quietly and tolerate me and after five minutes i give up the ghost and i go thank you very much Mm. goodbye and then run away (laughs) backstage, ashamed of how badly this has gone Mm. fair play to them as i was leaving and trying to sneak out they grabbed me and went oh no no you must sit with us and have some drinks and we'll bring you some food We've got samosas and all kinds of lovely things that you know we've made for this event. Come and come I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I really have to be elsewhere, oh, no. um, and I ran away. Oh, uh, no. That was probably the worst. I mean, there there've been some weird ones where people have shouted out. There was a competition final I did. Nando's comedian of the year. I was oh, in the final of that. Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> it was up in the northwest somewhere. Yeah, I did the heat, smashed the heat, won the heat comfortably, absolutely obliterated it. So. Obviously, I'm in the final with lots of really good acts. Mm. So I had no expectation of winning anyway. But they were really lovely. They liked most of the acts. And then I mm. came on. They really didn't go with it for some reason. Absolutely hated it. And then one woman at the back, because it was dark room, very dark. It was in Nando's. It was mm. in a Nando's. And they lit it really well, so only the stage was lit. And then one woman at the back started shouting, Hey, shit, get him off. Can someone please get him off the stage? And of course, you have five minutes. You can't really deal with hecklers. And also... You can't see where this heckle is coming from. Mm. So that was particularly painful because at that point, and I was very new at that point, all I could do was freeze and go, can you repeat that? And of course she repeated more abuse. Um, That that move didn't work very well. (laughs) I've I've had a couple of those, not many, not as many as you'd imagine. I've only been racially abused at one gig, and that was a gig in London, where Mm. a very very, very drunk woman shouted at me, that might be funny where you come from, but it's not funny here. Um. Well, wow. yeah. Uh, she was exceptionally drunk, and then as soon as I came off stage, every one of her friends came up to me, hugely apologetic, saying, We're really, really sorry that happened to you. That shouldn't have happened to you. That was bang out of order. She's just very drunk, which of mm. course is never an excuse because when you're very drunk, you're more yourself than. Not yourself. <laughs> the <two laughs> and, yeah, the truth comes out. Mm. But weirdly, as I arrived back in the green room, the promoter handed me my money and said, well, Jay, some people just aren't good enough, are they? He blamed me for her being abusive to me and me not being able to handle it very well. But of course, how do I handle that well? I don't know this person who's sitting in the front row shouting abuse at me. So I've never played his gigs ever again. But weirdly, what must have happened. So I come off, he has a go at me for doing badly. As I am heading back home, because I was on the train back home, he sends me a message saying, well done, Jay. Mm. I will have you back any time you want. Now, what's obviously happened is his audience have come up to him mm. and said, we really enjoyed that guy. Real shame, mm-hmm. that bitch was so evil. Mm. But I'm
0: not going back to his gig, yeah, ever. Right. Not a chance. Yeah, I mean, you should be used to this racism by now, Jay. That's what I'm saying, <laughs> isn't it? I <laughs> yeah. mean, you know, if you just didn't do very well with the racism. Come on, just you take it, take it like you <laughs> usually do. What the hell? But to be fair, oh, wow. only once, only mm. once... Have I ever had that? Yeah. One out of 800 gigs is not bad. It's not bad yeah,
1: at all. Yeah. And I think it, it, it confirms my theory that we as a nation, as a society, are generally good people. Mm. That is very, very rare. I know some people will will have a different experience and may
0: have had it more often, but I don't really come across it. Right, all right, I've burned a bridge, a couple of bridges, I'm sure, in comedy, right? And I, there's only a couple I'm very aware of, right? You're not in the headspace, right? And you can't get off the track of you're going to fucking destroy the relationship with this person right now. And you're just there with a the torch, burning that fucking bridge <laughs> with the petrol, and you're going, no, well, it's too late now. I'm just going to keep pouring petrol on this fucking bridge. Sorry, man, uh, this, is, this is where it's going. Has there any, been any moment... For you, in comedy, when you've gone, I'm destroying this moment with this promoter. Has there been a moment like that? There's only a very
1: small handful of promoters mm. that I've had any issue with. vast majority of promoters, fantastic. They treat you very well. Mm. They're respectful of your craft. They're respectful mm. of their comedians. Mm. They treat their comedians very, very well. There is a very tiny, tiny minority who are, and there's no better word for it, Cunts. <laughs> <laughs> they are vile people who treat comedians badly. Mm. okay, And treat their audiences badly. It's always the two. Mm. If they treat their comedians badly, they will be treating their audiences badly as well. Mm. There are occasionally uh, promoters where who tell you, don't do X, Y, Z. Mm. And then in the heat of the moment, you forget and you do. Mm. okay, And they don't want you back at their club. Mm. And I understand that. You told me at the start not exactly. to do it. I was unprofessional mm. in that I forgot and I did it. Exactly. But very, very tiny minority who are... Thoroughly unpleasant, mm. and I would never, ever want to work with.
0: Is there a story to one particular moment? I don't really have any issues with anybody,
1: if I'm absolutely honest. I mean, most people, vast, vast majority of people, it's cool. You're doing your, you're doing your thing, you're working in your little corner of the world, of the industry, and they're getting on with it, and that's fine. I do sometimes get frustrated by not being booked. right? Right. But only in one specific circumstance, mm. and that circumstance is... When I perform at a show, it goes exceptionally well. A promoter who runs a different show comes up to me and says, that was great, I would love to have you on my show, get in touch. Mm. And then you do, and you hear nothing back, mm. ever. And you, you know, and of course you don't want to be pushy, so you might every three, four, five, six months send them a message saying, still would love to get on your show. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's frustrating because... I didn't go to you Mm. to ask for a gig. You came to me offering one, Mm. and now you won't give me one. That's weird. Mm. So you set up my expectations and then dashed them dramatically. Well, dramatically, but but through ignoring me. And that's the only thing that I think I find a little frustrating with most promoters. But on the whole, they have a comedy club to run, and their world is bigger than the 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes that I will do at their comedy club. Mm they have other concerns and I appreciate that. The biggest uh irk of the comedy
0: industry for you?
1: This is the thing, I don't generally worry about what other people are doing. Mm-hmm. I worry about what I'm doing and what I'm getting on with and I I don't know. I I'm not easily frustrated. I know I express myself particularly when I write sure. as a man full of frustrations mm. but that's because I was taught as a journalist to write in a compelling way, mm. write in a compelling way, write in a way that will grab people's attention. Okay? So the person I am when I'm writing is going to either pick a point of view and then hammer away at it mm. or play devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. Okay? And people think, oh, he's so, he's so frustrated, he's so angry. Look at the way he writes, or, you know, particularly on social media. Mm. But that's not who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm a really relaxed person. I'm really chilled <laughs> out. But I also understand how to grab an audience's attention, particularly when you're writing. Yeah. And so I misrepresent myself in some ways. Mm-hmm. But at the same time I'm not ashamed of mm-hmm. the way I do it because
0: if I didn't write that way, you people wouldn't read it. It's like you're it's like you're driving a car. You know, it's like the internet is your car. It's yes. like when I get in my car drive how the fuck I want to drive, OK? But when I get out the car, I'm the nicest person I can possibly be. <laughs> yes! This is the perfect analogy. This is
1: the perfect analogy, although I'd drive like a, an old lady anyway, oh, well, that's uh, okay. in real life. But there are certain people, certain journalists, I, I think Clarkson's a mm. good example. I don't think he's the awful evil man he pretends to be. Mm. He's writing to a deadline for a national newspaper in a syndicated column. He's going to be provocative. Mm. When he goes home... He's not that person I don't believe. And mm. I think that it's hard for people to appreciate that. Mm. I mean, again, with Katie Hopkins, I, from what I hear, she could die very soon. She has horrible her- health problems. Mm. And I suspect that... She just wants to make as much money for her kids as possible, as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And she's chosen this as a way to do it. She's going to be the provocateur online. Mm -hmm. She's going to write horrendous things about immigrants (laughs) for the Daily Mail and get paid well for it and then leave that for her kids. And, you know, if she can live with herself morally, I don't know how you could. Because I've been asked if I'll write for the Daily Mail. And that's my red line. I'm Mm -hmm. not going there. Mm -hmm. It, but she seems to be able to do it she's made that decision fair enough mm. but i don't believe she's as horrendous in real life as she mm. claims to be or pretends to be online to sum up yeah. i'm a very relaxed person not much phases me because i don't sit around judging other people mm. i think that's such a waste of time oh, and also don't worry about what other people are thinking or saying or doing mm. or even saying about me just don't care mm. cannot
0: bring myself to care the world is such a big place. Mm-hmm. Why would I worry about minutiae like that? That's great. It's good. the good. best mentality to have, man. You keep your head down, keep doing the work, and then hopefully just getting better at what you're doing. Oh, yeah, of course. I and mean, if I didn't, I'd probably kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> Finish on a high note and a low note, then. That's ah. <laughs> great. But so your next mission into 2017-18 is take, have some time off. Yes. You're going to work on your show, which is... Islamophobic Muslim. Islamophobic Muslim, right, right. And that is going to be at the Fringe in 2018. Yes, and I'm
1: hoping that the Comedy Canon podcast will hit At least 100 episodes, half a million downloads would be nice. I think it's got a reasonable subscriber number that it can probably hit that half a million that I really want to. Mm. And from there, who knows where I'll go. I would love to do something more in radio. I mean, I already do two two radio shows. Mm. I would love to do something with one of the nationals. That would be lovely. Mm. But at the same time, I think we all have those similar dreams of, you know, writing a sitcom, write a sketch show, Mm. write write a great Edinburgh show Mm. and be successful from there onwards Mm. but what I certainly don't want to do is be a circuit comedian because that from afar anyway looks like a horrendous unfulfilling life Uh, and of course what I keep hearing from a lot of the professionals particularly the ones I interview on my podcast is the circuit is dying comedy as a live medium is really struggling Mm it could collapse and not come back again for maybe 10 years. So things aren't healthy out in comedy land at the Mm. moment. And all the professionals I speak to make the same complaint. Mm. That life was really good for them 10 years ago. Mm. It's not going to be good for them for the next 10 years. Mm. And so I think if you want to be an artist working in the field of comedy, then you have to start looking at the digital channels Mm. in terms of putting stuff out there on on YouTube. YouTube is the big one, of course, but putting out some podcasts, create some scripted comedy and, you know, some short sketches and start putting them out there. And I'm, I'm tempted to go down
0: that route, but I haven't decided yet. Well, cheers, man. Thank you for coming on the show, man. And it's thank you for you pleasure. use pleasure. Amazing, amazing office, man. It's been great. Well,
1: yeah, it's a great studio. Hopefully the sound will be spot on. I did I mean, boast that it would be, but I don't know. That's oh, been great, man. I really enjoyed it. We'll <laughs> soon find out. Also, another bugbear of mine on podcasts, uh, the volume is never high enough. I'm hard of hearing, partially, mm. so uh, that's a complaint that I have with most podcasts. So if you could just turn the volume, tweak it to 11 on yeah. this one, that would be much appreciated. No worries, man. Will right. do. Thanks,
0: man. Thank you. And that was episode 46 with a very funny, very controversial... Lovely fella too, Mr. Jay Islam. Thank you, Jay, for letting us use your studios. The sound is lovely. Jay is taking a show up to the Edinburgh Fringe in 2018 called Islamophobic Muslim. So go find him on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Go see him live because he's going to be working some stuff out for that. He's also got his own successful podcast called The Comedy Canon. It's on iTunes. Go find it there. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at The Comedy Defect. You can also follow me at Winter Phone Under. Come see my live stand-up gig dates and for my previews for my upcoming show called Tolerance, which will be on my website, which is winterphoneander.com. I don't want to talk for too much longer now because I've got to go to a gig. So that was Jay Islam for episode 46. Next week for episode 47, we've got the very funny, very likable, very hardworking Robin Perkins. And that's for episode 47. So guys, we will see you next week.